Well, howdy, Huda Thunkers. This is the host of the Huda Thunker podcast, episode 158, titled Unheard History. I, um, yeah, a couple different snippets of history here for you. Before we get into that, let's do the recommendation segment. This week, I recommend you read Yertle the Turtle. That's right. It's a Dr. Seuss book. It's my favorite Dr. Seuss book, in fact. And Dr. Seuss's Yertle the Turtle raises questions about justice, political rights, political authority, and the responsibilities of a ruler and what they have, the responsibility they have to their subjects. It's a simple kid's book, but I still enjoy reading it today. I remember Yertle the Turtle being my favorite. I kept, Shannon and I kept going to different stores and they had books up and they would have like a Dr. Seuss aisle or Dr. Seuss shelf. And I'd be like, look for Yertle the Turtle. I haven't read it in, since I was a kid. I would, lo- I would buy it right now. They didn't have it no matter where I went. So finally went to Barnes, like years I've been looking for this. I know you can buy it online, but I, I wanted to buy it in person. And we finally go to Barnes and Nobles. I see it. I bought it. It was like $17, which I think is a lot for a book for children. But maybe that's normal. I don't know. Anyway, it's Dr. Seuss. I thought it's an upcharge. Whatever. I bought it and I don't regret it. I love it. I read it as soon as we got home. And yeah, it's for kids. But there's a lot of meaning behind that. I mean, there's a reason why Dr. Seuss is so popular. I'm the kind of person that only learns things, learns things the hard way. So when I learn like an, un, like an intended lesson on the very first trial, try it's a, it's a memorable moment. So when I first read Yertle the turtle, I got it. It just clicked. And that's not, that doesn't happen all the time. So the first time I read Yertle the turtle, I understood what it was trying to tell me about power. I got it in like all the, like I was a kid, but I understood the adult meaning for it and everything. Um, and I think that's what makes Dr. Seuss so special. You know, that's why he's so popular. But I've never seen myself as one of the other turtles on Salamasand Island. No, I've always seen myself as Yertle, the the antagonist, the main character, but an antagonist. And I've always been afraid of abusing what little power I have in this world. So quite a lot of thought provoking going on from a kid's book, but... That's Yertle the Turtle. That's my favorite Dr. Seuss book for you. So check it out, Yertle the Turtle. Um, it's a wonderful, all, as always, beautiful Dr. Seuss illustrations and, and wonderful writing and meaning. Now for the main event this week. I'm having a hard time finding the motivation to like dig deep into a topic. I had a couple lined up. I want to do one on Aaron Schwartz. He's like considered a modern-day martyr uh, for free speech and, and freedom of information. But... It's depressing. <laughs> it's a lot going on. It's another biography. So it's, I don't know. I was like, I don't feel like doing that right now. Great story, but I just didn't feel like doing it. So I've decided I, I wasn't gonna. <laughs> I've decided to share short little snippets of historical stories that I've accumulated over the years. Um, I did lean heavily on some historical facts and historical facts YouTube videos, um, which I then looked up, made sure they're accurate. Um, some of which I could confirm, some of which I couldn't. I'll try to tell you the difference between the two. Um, but they're things that I've actually heard of and on my own over the years. And I just use these little fact websites to be like, oh yeah, that little time. So without further ado, I break these up into little periods. The first period we have is the Aztecs. Bernal Diaz del Castillo's The True History of the Conquest of New Spain is a book. It's pretty cool. And in it, they talk about a priest who died during his time with Cortez and his, you know, time going to the Aztecs. And when they went through this dead priest's belongings, they found an adult toy made out of leather. (laughs) I thought that was funny. A priest, a Spanish priest going to conquer the Aztecs. They thought they were so much morally civilized and higher than the Aztecs. Funny. 
The University of Oxford is actually older than the Aztec Empire, which is a weird way to think about history. We always think of the Aztecs as like this ancient people, and they were compared to us. You know, they're they were quite a long time ago that they existed. But the University of Oxford, something that exists today, is actually older. Uh, Oxford first opened its doors to students all the way back in. 1096. That's 1096. That's when they opened. By comparison, the Aztec Empire is said to have originated with the founding of the city of Tenochtitlan at Lake Texcoco, Texcoco, by the by the Mexica, uh, which occurred in the year of 1325. So Oxford is like 300 years older than the Aztecs. So just give you a little perspective on history there. While holding Montezuma hostage in what is now Mexico City, the men tasked with guarding him treated re- treated him relatively decently. You know, he was a king. He had lots of gold, after all. Anyway, while the Spanish guards were on duty, he accidentally farted on Montezuma directly in his face. The guard felt super embarrassed. You know, he began apologizing profusely. He had just humiliated a noble, something you don't do back in his home of Spain, something that you probably get punished for. Montezuma was like, bro, chill, it's okay. He wanted to assure the apologetic guard, so he gave him a piece of, uh, a small piece of his vast amount of gold. He gave a little piece of gold to the guard that farted in his face, like, chill, you don't have to apologize so much. That's when things shifted. The guard looked at the gold, dumbfounded for a bit, then proceeded to fart right into Montezuma's face, expecting more gold. (laughs) I like to imagine the guard was like, ah, you like that, don't you? Don't you, you little dirty boy? Well, here, take some more, farted out him. Perhaps this was the first unintentional example of, like, kink sex work? I don't know. (laughs) He farted on the king of the Aztecs, got some gold, and was like, huh, if I just keep farting, I'll get more gold. That is... (laughs) That's some humor my grandfather would really appreciate. (laughs) The Aztecs were such a cool culture. They built their city, Tenochtitlan, on a big artificial island, and it was so big, it it could be compared to, like, London and Constantinople at the time. So we think of Aztecs as these old, you know, primitive people, uh, but they were had quite the uh, advanced civilization, a huge city. Some say the main reason that the uh, huge civilization with a huge army, the Aztecs, were beaten by a handful of stinky Europeans. I say stinky because, like, their hygiene of Europeans at the time was horrible, way worse than the Aztecs. But the reason why... Uh, the Aztecs lost to these uh, handful of stinky Europeans was because the sacrifice happy Aztecs made so many enemies like all the surrounding tribes they they ticked them off the the Aztecs pissed off so many of their neighboring populations that Cortez was able to gather like a hundred thousand soldiers of neighboring tribes to help him so his you know just a handful of Europeans are now a huge army from all the uh, enemies that Montezuma had gained and Look at all the paintings of Montezuma and uh, Cortez. Montezuma looks like a boss. (laughs) He's got all this gold and feathers and capes. And Cortez, the guy who thinks he's so much more advanced, is just wearing like some weird European stuff. Anyway, that's the Aztecs. Now on to World War II. A couple different stories. First, a little short one. Um, The only people to die on U.S. soil, the World War II, from World War II casualties. 1945, a balloon bomb launched by Japan landed in Oregon. It fell upon a woman and five children who died when it exploded. Those were the only World War II casualties on U.S. soil. So I didn't even know that existed. I didn't think anyone died on U.S. soil. Um, Well, that's not true. Wait a minute. The only casualties. Casualties. 
Pearl Harbor. Maybe I should check into that one. Pearl Harbor, people definitely died in U.S. soil, but I guess it was in the water. I don't know. But people definitely died in Pearl Harbor. In World War II, there was a guy named Juan Pujo Garcia, allied code name Garbo. He was from Spain and was not a fan of the Nazis or any other fascist for that matter. Like he, There was fascists in Italy. He didn't like fascism. He lived in Spain. So he wrote to the U.S. and the U.K. and was like, yo, I can be your boy. I'm over here in Europe. Um, I'm not, you know, across any sea or channel or anything. And I can help you out. Uh, he offered his services as a spy against the Germany. But go both governments were like, nah, we don't need you. U.S., U.K. were like, no, thank you. Garbo thought he didn't need governments backing him and decided to do the damn thing anyway. He got a job in Spanish government. And, and the idea was to become so powerful and influential in the Spanish government that he would catch the eye of German intelligence. And, you know, the whole time while he was working his way up the Spanish government, he was very uh, pro-Nazi. He, 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 he pretended to be very pro-Nazi, pro-fascism. So the Germans, uh, to them, he was a Nazi-loving guy inside the Spanish government willing to spy for them. So he became a German agent. Germany asked him to spy on London. And he was like, cool, you got it. I'm going to do that. And he went to Lisbon, Portugal instead. <laughs> Whenever German intelligence asked him for information, he just looked at English magazines, newsreels, movies. Um, uh, there was a London like brochure, a tour guide book that he got as well. And he used that as information to give bogus intel to the Nazis. Um, and all while collecting a Nazi paycheck. So he's collecting all these resources. And he's like, give me this. And Give me all the resources you have. And all he was giving back to the Nazis was like public information that wasn't getting across the, 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 the German line. Eventually, British intelligence caught on to the fact that German resources were being sent to the wrong places and a lot of resources being given to this, this guy, someone who pretended to be a spy but wasn't negatively impacting Britain at all. So they're like, what's going on uh, <laughs> on a consistent basis? He's like, they're like, huh. So British intelligence figures it out. There was a, there must be someone behind this. They were able to make contact and hire Garbo as a spy officially, which is cool. Germany was, <laughs> he's like a freelance spy who was then picked up and, 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 and uh, sponsored. <laughs> Germany was sending Garbo, whom they dubbed Alaric. So his allied code name was Garbo, but his Axis, his, his Nazi code name was Alaric. They send him tons and tons of funding and resources because he was telling German high command that he was building a large spy network with lots of people behind English lines. In reality, it was just a dude named Juan collecting all these resources and money and telling jolly old England anything they wanted to know. And he was just chilling down there in Portugal. The Germans called his fabricated spy network Arabal. And they're like, this dude is such a good spy. we got to send him more money. <laughs> At its peak, Arabal was being funded for 27 agents he was collecting money and resources just him for 27 people that didn't exist many of which garbo could blame for any false info he may have given to the nazis so if he gives the nazis some bad info he's like oh it's that it's that agent smith guy agent smith didn't exist <laughs> the brits were so impressed they moved garbo and his entire family to the uk so Win-win here. His misinformation was a big factor in Allied Operation Fortitude, the intelligence operation undertaken to divert as many German troops away from Normandy as possible. By the time the war was over, Garbo had the distinction of receiving military decorations from both sides of the war, being awarded the Iron Cross from the Nazis, and becoming a member of the Order of the British Empire. So, <laughs> pretty interesting story. And I got a picture on the blog of him just giving this, like, shit-eating grin, like, super excited 
Um, so hats off to you, sir. Juan Pujol Garcia. Another World War II story. We know the Avengers as Captain America, Hulk, Iron Man, Thor, and so on from their big Hollywood hits. But the Avengers was also a group of Jewish assassins who hunted Nazi war criminals after World War II. It's, uh, they called themselves Nakam, which is Hebrew for revenge or avenger. It was a paramilitary organization of about 50 Holocaust survivors who, after 1945, sought revenge for the murder of 6 million Jews during the Holocaust. Led by Abba Kovner, the group sought to kill 6 million German people in a form of indiscriminate revenge. A nation for a nation, was what they said. In the end, they poisoned 2,283 German prisoners of war. Not saying that's a <laughs> Garbo story. Cool. Help people out in a very not terrible way. That This I don't ethically agree with. Um, I, I, then again, I didn't live through the Holocaust. So I, I, but ethically, it's not great. Uh, poisoning prisoners of war without a trial, not a very ethical thing to do. And just, you know, killing 6 million Germans indiscriminately, not also not great. But interesting, interesting story. And um, yeah, the Avengers. Another World War II story, which uh, a little bit more lighthearted than the last one. Russia ran out of vodka, celebrating the end of World War II, which I love that. <laughs> Russia's got to have a lot of vodka, right? Well, when the long war ended, street parties engulfed the Soviet Union, lasting for days until all of the nation's vodka reserves ran out. Um, it was uh, 22, only 22 hours in, they ran out of vodka, but they drank everything else they had, and they partied with everything else they had. <laughs> Great story. Ancient Greece or Rome is what we're on to next. Cato the Elder. He was a Roman senator who would end all of his speeches with Carthago Delenda Est. It means Carthage, a city constantly at arms with Rome, must be destroyed. So everything he said, he ended with, yeah, we got it. And remember, we got to kill those guys. Years after he died, Carthage was destroyed. So that's cool. And then there's Cato's son. Cato the Younger, so Cato the Elder's son, Cato the Younger, was, I love how they named people back then, well, he was appointed senator years after uh, his father died and years after Carthage fell, so same, the, that guy's son now is also a senator, and he was a senator during Julius Caesar's time, Caesar was, Caesar was in a big meeting, reading a note during a big government meeting, the equivalent to, you know, checking your text during a board meeting or some or a staff meeting these days. Cato, the, it was rude. Cato the Younger, seeing an opportunity to uh, accuse Caesar of being a spy, thinking he might be able to take out a powerful rival, is Caesar, he said, hey, what are you doing with that note? You must be a spy. Caesar denied being a spy and was like, what's the big deal, Cato the Younger? I'm definitely not a spy. Why? What are you doing here, bro? Don't do this. So Cato the Younger says, oh, yeah, then why don't you read the note to the entire class? Pulled one of those things. If you don't have anything to hide, you know, what would you be worried about? Caesar's like, yeah, sure, I'll read the note. It turned out to be a steamy love note from Cato the Younger's sister. <laughs> These are the stories that make Caesar's legend just bigger and bigger. And why today we still have so many things named after Caesar. Caesar salad, Caesarian section, the czars of Russia were named after Caesar. Uh, he, his legend just, these little stories, he just blew up. Next, the Romans, like any culture, were not perfect. But they did have what some today consider progressive views on religion and sexuality. Uh, Rome conquered a lot of different peoples, each one having different gods or goddesses. And instead of making the locals worship their Roman gods, the Romans would pray to the local gods. They would pray to the local deities asking 
asking they abandon the local government structure and have the local population join the Roman Empire, but not take over the religion. If the Romans were successful in taking over the people, they would officially recognize or even fully adopt the local god into their religion. That's why they had so many. And that's why the Roman gods are almost snapshot exactly like the ancient Greek gods, just different names. Some emperors say it was like a spiritually hedging their bets. You know, why piss off gods that might be real when you can make friends with a bunch of different gods, a bunch of different religions? That way, if one of those religions is right, you have, you know, <laughs> chances are you'll have a better time in the afterworld. I thought that was an interesting way. And the, 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 the Mongol Empire, they did a similar thing. They let people, you know, worship whatever gods they wanted and they think it was under the same reason hedging your bets just like well why would i tell you to do it this way and when it came to sexuality the concept of gay just didn't exist neither did straight for that matter the same goes for the ancient greeks they only saw sexuality in terms of dominant or submissive didn't matter what fleshy bits you had that's why i've always had an issue with that one scene from 300 where leonidas gave an insult to king xerxes by calling him and his men boy lovers <laughs> In reality, the Spartans constantly had sex with boys and what we today would definitely consider pedophilia, <laughs> while ancient Persia had laws against homosexuality. Most Spartan soldiers had the equivalent of a squire accompanying them on military campaigns, and it was common for that squire to polish both of his master's swords, if you catch my drift. Around 250 BCE, during the Parthian Empire, the Zoroastrian text the Venedvin Vendidad was written. It contains provisions that are part of sexual code promoting procreative sexuality that is interpreted to prohibit same-sex intercourse as a form of demon worship and thus sinful. So when Gerard Butler's character Leonidas calls Xerxes, the Persian, a boy lover, it's not only a historical inaccuracy, it's an ass-backward comment. Pun intended. <laughs> Things were completely ba backwards, as 300 said. And I have a picture on the blog, uh, a painting depicting the Spartans. <laughs> it's one of the gayest looking things I've ever seen. <laughs> They're all just, you know, having a great old time. Not that I'm saying anything's wrong with that. I'm just saying it's so, what's the word, ironic that Hollywood portrays them as being hating gay people. It's so weird. <laughs> In ancient Greece, they believed redheads became vampires after death. <laughs> Think about it. All these people down in ancient Greece and Rome, they had that olive skin, and redheads are usually pale, so they're like, oh, wow, people are very pale. They're really pale skin and sensitive to sunlight, unlike those Mediterranean Greeks who had olive skin and dark features. So they were like, ew, weird, it's a vampire. So they think that's where the vampire legend came from. <sighs> Enough of the ancient Greeks and the Romans. Now, a little short, a couple little short snippets to, to, to tie up the episode. Next up is Salem, like the Salem witch trials. During those Salem witch trials, the accused witches were not actually burned at the stake. The majority were jailed and some of them hanged, but none of the 2,000 people accused were ever burned alive. Think about that. Every time you see a movie or show depicting a woman being burned alive in Salem, it didn't happen. There's so many movies and shows. I'm not saying they Salem was, you know, something like, oh, not a big deal. That, that's a big deal when community is believes in like craziness and, and prosecutes people for it. I'm just saying the way that they killed the people, not done the way that Hollywood wants you to think. They hung them or they jailed them. They did not burn them alive. Not in Salem, at least. There were burnings at the stake that happened a lot in history, just not at Salem. Not for that. 
Next on, we have Napoleon. You've heard of Napoleon. Little short story here. Famous conqueror Napoleon Bonaparte was once attacked by a horde of bunnies. <laughs> it makes me think of uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail here. <laughs> he had requested that a rabbit hunt be arranged for himself and his men. When the rabbits were released from their cages, the bunnies charged right towards Bonaparte and his men in an unstoppable onslaught. Thought that was funny. And then there's Alexander. Alexander the Great's one of my favorites. This is the last overall topic we'll be talking about. Alexander the Great was accidentally buried alive. Following Alexander's death in Babylon, his body was initially buried in Memphis by one of his generals, Ptolemy I. Soter, before being transferred to Alexandria, where it was reburied. Scientists believe Alexander suffered from a neurological disorder called Julian or Julian Barr syndrome. They believe that when he died, he was actually just paralyzed and mentally aware. So that's pretty messed up. And General P Ptolemy, the guy I talked about that reburied him, is actually believed to be Cleopatra's ancestor. As far as historians can tell, Egypt's uh, famous femme, femme fatale was actually Greek. She was a descendant of Alexander the Great's Macedonian general Ptolemy. So yeah, she was an Egyptian like everybody thinks. <sighs> There you go. There's my history, or unheard history, history unheard, um, episode 158. I I will admit this is a lot easier than diving deep into one topic because with my ADHD, ADHD brain, I, it's a lot easier for me to bounce from one thing to the other. Um, I find it really hard to focus on one thing. So I had fun going from, you know, going from World War II to the Aztecs to, you know, just jumping all over history. It felt a lot more natural for me. <laughs> Hope you'd enjoyed uh, Huda Thunkers. Uh, until next week, thanks for listening.